All right, please take your Bibles tonight to Luke chapter 15, the book of Luke chapter 15. Now we're going to be in a very, very famous passage of Scripture, one that no doubt you've heard a sermon before, uh, but that doesn't mean that it shouldn't be preached. What I found is ones that get preached most of the time usually have a lot of truth in them, usually could probably apply to our life very effectively if we would just apply it. So Luke chapter 15 tonight. We will be reading verse 11 uh, down through uh, verse 24. I want to quickly say I sat by a man on the airplane today who was a pastor or an associate pastor in uh, Nicaragua. I believe that's what I told y'all, isn't it? Yeah, it's Africa. Do you remember where I told y'all it was? Nigeria. Yes, it was. Brother Eubanks, how do you know the geography of Africa? That's strange. Uh, but it was Nigeria, and I sat beside him, and um, at first I didn't know, uh, we didn't speak when we first sat down. I'm, I'm not very good at the conversation. I've told you all my elevator story before. I just get in the elevator and look at the ground. Hopefully they don't talk to me, and I won't talk to them. It's just a deal I've made with them. And, uh, and so I don't, usually don't do a whole lot of talking, but I sat down. I waited for the flight attendants to give us the permission to use our computers and laptops, and and whatever we had. So I opened up my laptop and I opened my Bible and I began to prepare for this sermon tonight. And I noticed that he kept glancing down at my sermon and at one point I just leaned over and said, what do you think? Is it a good one? Or... <laughs> and uh, uh, it was funny because I, I didn't say anything at first and he saw me kind of looking through my coordinates and, and uh, just looking uh, throughout the Bible, trying to study. And it became very apparent as he saw, I mean, maybe... Even an unchurched person, I would think that if they see three points in a poem, they kind of figure I'm a preacher, right? <laughs> I would think. But he looked down and he said, well, uh, are you a pastor? And he said it in his uh, a- Africa accent there. I'm not going to try and tempt that. My, I did that for my parents and they laughed at me, so I'm not going to do that. But I said, yes, I am. I'm Pastor Joshua Baptist Church in Joshua, Texas. He goes, oh, Texas. Well, I'm an assistant pastor in Nigeria. And I said, oh, wow, that's awesome. And he goes, out of all America, this is the only good I've seen. (laughs) I said, what do you mean? And he said, I come to America, and I see everything, but America's no good. And he began to explain to me how the family unit in Nigeria, Africa, is so much stronger than it is in America. And how he believes that's the direct correlation between why their society is strong. And by society, he does not mean uh, uh, societal success. What he means is people being willing to submit to authority and people honoring their parents and loving their parents. And he says, in America, this does not exist. But in Nigeria, I would still spank my 21-year-old son. That's what he said. And he began to, and honestly, it was one of the most amazing things. Uh, it was like I got four years of Bible college in about 45 uh, minutes talking to this man. Because he began to explain everything that we preach and everything we teach from this pulpit and how we say strong homes and strong families are the backbone of any good church and it's going to be the backbone of any good society. We've preached that several years and he sat there and he said, that's, that's the difference between my country and yours. He literally called America a modern day Sodom and Gomorrah. He said in his country it would be 14 years imprisonment for a homosexual man. It just struck me that he would come over here and he said, everyone in my country wants to come to America. And he said, and I want to go back. I I tell you what, that got me. I was literally teared up. I was literally weeping for the state that America is in. Look, don't blind yourself into thinking we're okay. Just because we all drive nice cars, just because we all got here this evening and we look nice, does not mean that we are not morally decayed as a society. And just because we have a lot of nice things and we most of us have decent jobs, does not mean we're successful because we are caving in 
That's off topic, but I tell you, it really made an impact on me. And he preached the best sermon I've ever heard in my life. And he was just a man sharing his heart with me about what he hopes his country does not do that ours is already doing. So tonight I just want to talk to you out of Luke chapter 15, verse 11. That being said, since I talked to him so long, I didn't have much time to study. So we'll see how this goes. Luke chapter 15, verse 11, the Bible says, And he said, A certain man had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falleth to me. And he divided unto them his living. And not many days after, the younger son gathered all together and took his journey into a far country, and there wasted his substance with riotous living. And when he had spent all, there arose a mighty famine in the land, and he began to be in want. And he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country, and he sent him into his fields to feed swine, and he would have Fain have filled his belly with the husks that the swine did eat, and no man gave unto him. And when he came to himself, he said, How many hired servants of my father's have bread enough to and to spare, and I perish with hunger? I will arise and go to my father and will say unto him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before thee. And I'm no more worthy to be called thy son. Make me as one of thy hired servants. Then he arose and came to his father. But when he was yet a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. And the son said unto him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in thy sight, and I'm no more worthy to be called thy son. But the father said to his servants, Bring forth the best robe and put it on him. And put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet. And bring hither the fatted calf and kill it. And let us eat and be merry. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to be merry. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you for this specific passage of scripture. Jesus Christ gives us a parable here uh, that we, if we would apply to our lives in so many different ways, it would impact us and encourage us to be better tomorrow than we were yesterday. Father, tonight I want to specifically apply this message in a way that may seem a little bit odd at first, but Lord, I pray that we would arrive back to the to where you want me to be. And Lord, I pray that you give me clarity of thought, give me clear direction as to where I'm going with this sermon. Father, be in my mouth as the Spirit of God speaks through me. Lord, I pray that you would keep me from saying things I ought not to say. And Lord, I pray that I would not offend anyone or make anyone mad by things that I would say. But Lord, I pray that I'd preach the Word of God unfiltered, wholly true, and Lord, I pray that the people in the auditorium tonight would be willing to react to the Word of God as if it was truly your Word. I pray all this in your Son's precious name. Amen. Now, we in America are about as wasteful of a people as there is in the world. Just yesterday, I was getting ready for the ceremonies of, uh, of my friend, Bud is his name, or that's his nickname, technically, we call him Bud, but... Uh, I was getting ready for all the ceremonies, and one of Bud's really good friends, uh, kind of an older man, but almost a mentor of Bud's, if you will, came to the wedding, and I had never had the opportunity to meet this man. I'd heard just a ton about him, but one thing that we have in common is the fact that we both love to hunt. And this man is a very successful businessman. He's not a pastor. He's just a layman in the church, but he helps the church immensely with the abilities that God has given him. And so we began to talk, and, and I'll talk to anybody about hunting. You, you, just, you don't even have to know what you're talking about. If you'll just shut up, I'll talk to you about it. And uh, I enjoy talking about hunting, but I tell you what, this guy could talk about some hunting. We talked for literally minutes and minutes and minutes and minutes just gone by, and my wife was supposed to be getting me some food, and I'm wondering where my wife is with this food. I'm starving. It's about 
2.30 and I'm not eating anything all day. And so I'm talking to this man about hunting and really he's doing a lot more of the talking than I am. And that's fine. I was listening and, and finally my wife shows up. And man, I was excited to see she had Arby's coming through the door. And Arby's gave me that big old Dr. Pepper there. I told my mom, the only Dr. Pepper I drink is organic Dr. Pepper. That's what I told her today. I believe that. And uh, she brought in this big Dr. Pepper. She brought me in one of those Arby's roast beef sandwiches. I lather that thing up with uh, Arby sauce, none of that horse, horsey sauce for me. I just like the, the good, smooth flavor of the Arby sauce. And I put that on my, my uh, 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 roast beef sandwich there, and I had my curly fries. And I'll tell you what, if you don't like curly fries, you ain't right with God. That's what I say. Curly fries are awesome. And I love me some curly fries. I really like fries in general. I ate some In-N-Out fries today. I, I'm not prejudiced at all. God loves all fries. The straight ones, the crooked ones. Now, that does not apply with people. But, um, um, but I love some curly fries. And so is. this man was speaking to me about uh, all of these things, about his hunting stories, going to Alaska, going to New Mexico, and what he's going to go. He's going on like six or seven big hunts this year. I was looking at this Arby's sandwich, and all I wanted to do was tear into it, but I didn't want to be rude and be like, oh. So I literally, for 30 minutes, did not take a bite of a half-unwrapped Arby's sandwich in my hand. And now it's cold, and, and that's okay. I can deal with that, especially since it's about 2, 2.30, and I haven't eaten anything. I can deal with it. But he continues to talk, and I continue to just affirm, and yes, yeah, that's awesome. Oh, great. At one point, I just got done. I was just done. And I wanted to bite. And so I took as big a bite as I could to send as big a message as I could without being rude. And I took, I just dove into that thing and I did the, I did the uh, uh, stick it in and then open this cheek with a rotation. And then I opened the other cheek with another rotation. I'm taking about half this burger in my mouth at the same time. And, and he just keeps right on going. And he's like the Energizer Bunny, man. Once he started, he ain't stopping. And I'm trying to be kind, and I, I, hate, I hate eating in front of people. I hate talking in front of people with food in my mouth. But he's like, hey, you going on any trips? <laughs> i tell you what, I fought this battle for I don't know how long. Before I know it, I've taken one bite of this sandwich, and it is 2 o'clock, and I'm supposed to be going into the wedding. I had taken one bite and about three sips of my Dr. Pepper. And I looked at that Arby's burger there. And I looked at that trash can. And I took one of the largest bites of my life. And I had to throw about half of an Arby's sandwich away. Not only did I wear a pink bow tie, I threw away a sandwich for my friend. That shows you how close I was with him. But I've always thought how wasteful we are as a society. I mean, we have a church gathering, and we beg you ladies to bring food up, and we beg y'all, oh, please bring food. And I'll tell you what, we throw away about 37 chickens every time we do that. And we just try having enough. And you know what I'm talking about. You have a big holiday dinner. We have those holiday dinners. We cook 17 hams and three turkeys, and, and we've got 17 steaks out there, and then we realize that only three people are coming. We've got dessert. We've got sides. And then we eventually have to, after we've snacked on it a couple days, we have to throw away so much of this food. But would you agree with me? We're pretty wasteful when there are countries in this world that don't have near the food that we have. We are very wasteful. But I would say tonight that we are probably wasteful in other areas that aren't just food. Can I say that God has so perfectly fashioned and formed our relationship with Him and our current circumstances to be successful that the only reason that we would not be successful Christians is because we're wasting opportunity? With the relationship and the empowerment that he's given us and the circumstances of the fact that the times are darker now than they've ever been 
It is the high time for Christians to finally stand up and with God's power boldly proclaim what he's done in their life and what he can do in other people's life. It is the perfect time to be a successful, victorious Christian. And why aren't we? Why aren't we? Why when I speak to a man on a plane today does he say America is bad? Why? It's because we're wasteful. One of the things that's always intrigued me about the story that we're reading from, obviously it's the prodigal son, is why would the son want to leave his circumstances? If I read pretty well, it seems like he's got it good. It seems like everything's going in his direction. Everything is set up perfect for him to be a success in life. And he just says, no, sir, and does his own thing. I would say that we're probably not too different than him. And I want to talk to you tonight about a wasted life. I want to give you three points of a wasted life. And if you will waste your life doing things that are not for God and not being a successful Christian, you will have to grossly misunderstand three things about God. First of all, you will have to misunderstand his longing. In verse number 12, I want to point out to you his longing. The Bible says in verse number 12, And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falleth to me. And he divided unto them his living. Now, I'll be honest with you, I really do believe that the young man is being quite selfish here. And I also believe that the uh, equation could be made, or the uh, uh, conclusion could be made, that any time you're a selfish person, you will always get things by division and not multiplication. He says, Father, give me the goods that falleth to me. And the Bible says, and the Father divided the things that he would, be, that he would give his son. So I do believe that this young man is trying to get before he really deserves. Now, we don't know, uh, or I don't know a whole lot about the Hebrew birthright and the blessing, but I, I have done some, done some study on it. I do think I understand it good enough to, to kind of give you an idea of what goes on. The story that I'd like to refer your mind to is uh, Jacob and Esau. And we all remember that. Who, who was the firstborn in that story? It was Esau. And if you remember, he came out literally seconds before his brother Jacob. Now, Jacob was a deceiver. And Jacob wanted what Esau rightfully had. He wanted the birthright, and he wanted the blessing. And so the birthright in that story, we learn, was a, was a blessing of the father. It was the, the fact that the older son was entitled to be the heir of the household of, the, of that Jewish household. And so that young man was rightfully entitled to all that the father would leave behind when he left. Now, this young man was given twice what any of the other sons were given, or a double portion. So Esau rightfully deserved twice of what Jacob deserved. Now, in our story, we see that this young man is the younger. And he does not have the birthright. He does not have the ability to have the bigger uh, of the amounts of the two birthrights. He's going to have a much smaller birthright, and yet he was quite content with that. In that story of Jacob and Esau, we know that Jacob deceives his father. He deceives Esau into selling his birthright, deceives his father into giving his blessing. But the birthright was something to be desired. And now, I don't know how this father attained his wealth. I'm not sure if he was a successful businessman. He could have been a, a cattle farmer. He could have been a shepherd. He could have been just a, a merchant of some type. I don't know, but I do get the idea from the story that this man was somewhat successful. And the young man says, Father, give me the portion of goods that falls to me. And the father does it. This young man was content to settle for less than what the father had planned. I don't know why he would just automatically up and decide to take everything, take it all out. I don't know if the father had more good years of business in front of him. I don't know if the father was going to be able to be more successful and then eventually leave him more. I don't know, but I do know that he settled 
for less. Anytime that you decide to take your ball and go home as a Christian, anytime you decide as a Christian to uh, uh, kind of get your own ideas and get your own ways, I promise you, you're going to be settling for less. I just can't get out of my mind that this young man really hurt his relationship with his father, really hurt what he could become as a, as a son because of this interaction with his father. It's a shame that he would be so selfish and so naive to think that his, his blessing and his birthright was better off in his hands than it was in the hands of the father. My friend, if you study your Bible, you'll quickly realize that everything that you are was given to you from God. The Bible says that every good and perfect gift cometh from the Father above. And I take that to mean that there are gifts given that are not from God, but not good ones. So the Bible teaches us that everything we are, everything that we have, everything that we can become is given by God. It's been said, what you are is God's gift to you. What you can become is your gift to God. I believe that. I think that on this earth we are given specific talents. We're given specific abilities. We're given specific special traits that other people may not have. And I try teaching this to our young people often, that God made you exactly who he wanted you to be. And you may not be the most talented in one area, but you may have more skill in another area. You may not even know what your real skill is, but God made you exactly how he wanted you to be. And I've never seen God make a mistake, and I don't believe he'll make one tomorrow. God makes no mistake, so you are who you are because that was God's plan for you. Here's the problem. Is we've taken what God made us, and selfishly claimed it for our own instead of leaving it in the hands of the Father. You see, your gifts and your abilities and your talents are better off serving God than they are serving you because God can multiply when you will divide. Your talents will always fall short. And and what you say, what do you mean by talents? I mean some of you are the best salesmen that your company has. Some of you are the best wrench turner that your company has. Some of you are the greatest mothers that are on this planet. You care for your children. You love your children. You pray for your children. Some of you are as good as God made. But let's be very careful. We're not using our abilities to please us or others while leaving God out of the picture. You know what I've noticed? I don't want to get too practical about this, but some of the best door knockers and soul winners I've ever met were salesmen. You know why? Because they're not uncomfortable talking. They knock on the door and they say, Hi, my name is uh, so-and-so and I'm here today. And it's like, why are you so energetic? And if you ever hang around a real salesman, this is what they'll do. They'll walk up to the door and they'll be halfway asleep. Boy, I just barely had a chance to get it. Ha! My name's John Ringgold from John Romano Church. <laughs> it's the craziest thing. It's like there's a shot of adrenaline go through their body because the sale is on, man. Hey, let's be honest. God gave certain people certain gifts so that the ministry could function. And we need salesmen at doors. And my favorite thing is when, when you knock on the door and somebody says, I, I, I really don't want to buy what you have. You say, good. I'm not selling anything. Look, God's plan for your life, and, and, and maybe you're not in full-time ministry, and so you have to work the job. And, and I believe it honors God to be as good of an employee as you can possibly be for the boss. But I believe it honors God more when you're not an employee, when you're his servant and his son and his child doing everything you can for God. And don't hoard your gifts. Don't hoard your talents. Dad, we have some of the best dads in the world in our church. And I'm not kidding you. 
Dads, you love your sons. You'd spend time with your sons. You, you, you would do anything for your sons. But here's the problem. We're spending our time at the wrong ball field. And you're teaching your child how to hit a baseball, and he doesn't even know the first verse of the Romans road. Dads, you're awesome dads, but we're taking our talents and dividing. When God wants to take our talents and multiply. And when our talents are in our own hands, we will always divide. But when they're in God's hands, they will always multiply. We have misunderstood his longing. I want you to notice, secondly, you will have misunderstood his lifestyle. You'll have misunderstood his lifestyle. The young boy here in verse number 12, the Bible says, And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falleth to me. And he divided unto them his living. So at this point in our passage, you could assume that the young man simply wanted to pad his bank account. He wanted to see if he could be in a, good, a good investor. You could, you could make the assumption that he wanted to see how successful of a businessman he would become because all he's asked the father to do at this point was, Father, help me out. But look at verse 13, the Bible says, And not many days after the younger son gathered all together and took his journey into a far country and there wasted his substance with riotous living. Now I believe as you read verse 13, you begin to understand the story and see it unfold before you. We can all assume that the young man was not completely happy at home. Now, I don't know why it seems to me that if this, this father was being used as a type of the heavenly father, that he's probably a really good dad. But nonetheless, the young man's ultimate goal and his ultimate plan was to get all that he could from dad and then bail and leave. And as youth director, I've heard teenagers say this, I can't wait till I turn 18 so I can just get out of the house. And I just look at him and say, you're dumb. No, 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 no. I say this in love. You are really dumb. Because they sit there and they act like life is better out of mom and dad's house. And like things are going to be easy. Oh, I can't wait to get to college. Oh, so you can eat terrible food and live in a small dorm with a bunch of smelly guys? That's going to be great. You're right. Man, I look back on it like it's the highlight of my life. Oh, yeah, waking up at 7 o'clock to go to class and sitting in class and barely being able to stay awake. You're right, man. 18 was awesome. The only thing was good about 18 is you could literally eat anything you wanted and not have to pay consequences for it. Not so much anymore. <laughs> I, I find it hilarious how teenagers, ah, oh, I just want to get out of mom and dad's house. I literally, I'm a bachelor for the next three days, and I've seriously considered going back to mom and dad's house. I asked mom a week in advance, mom, on Monday night, can you make deer steaks? I was ordering food a week ago for my mom to make. You may think that's stupid. I don't care what you think. Hey, look. You can ascertain by the story that the young man had a bigger picture and a bigger plan. He wanted to take all so he could just leave. And this is not a completely foreign concept to us. But what's so silly about it is how he thinks it's going to be better outside of father's house than it was inside. One thing I've learned over my short life as a Christian is... It's always better in dad's house. It's always better when you're able to have a close relationship with your father. Now, my father and I absolutely never fight. And to some of you, that may be a surprise, but me and dad just don't get in fights. Now, me and mom, on the other hand, we love each other a lot more. So where there is love, there is contention. No, uh, I, I truly do love my mom, and I think she's a godly woman. I'm, uh, this is just side context. I, I think she is a godly woman. I thank her for doing everything for me, and I'm just going to brag on her a little bit because I love her to death. But me and Dad never, ever fight. I, it was about six months ago, maybe, me and Dad got in a little of a tussle. And um, I remember 
him saying one thing and me saying another thing, and I was just trying to talk to him, and we were just not on the same page. And I know it sounds odd that Wolfenbargers would not be able to very effectively communicate when they're mad. I know that sounds odd, but we just got in a fight, and eventually we, we stormed out. And for the next two days, I remember thinking, this is miserable. Because I may not get a paycheck on Monday. No, I, I can't even tell you how comfortable it was. I, I, I'm really not a people pleaser. I don't much care what people think about my preaching. I don't much care what, what you think about. I hope that I never offend you. But really, if I make you mad, I, I, I'm going to say I'm sorry if I feel like I've wronged you. But it doesn't really bother me that much. But I tell you what, when I was wrong with Dad, my world wasn't right. It just wasn't. And this young man did not mind being wrong with dad. And he just said, okay, I'll, I'll do whatever I want. I'll, I'll be able to live however I want. I'll be able to waste my money. I'll be able to gamble. I'll be able to spend it however I want. And his plan was, if I can just get away from dad, everything will be better. Friends, some of you are living the very same way. Some of you have chosen a path of sin. Sin has reigned over your life so long, you literally wouldn't know how to get your way out if you tried. Some of you are so deep into sin, you, you literally, there is no end in sight. And what's worse about it is, you've not had a good, healthy relationship with the Father because of that sin. For so long, you've forgotten what it feels like. And sin is literally reigning over you like a taskmaster or a, a, a slave owner. Can I say this? No sin in this world is worth your relationship with the Father. There's no love more pure. There's no love more helpful. There's no love more genuine than that which is found in heaven that flows from the throne of God. And it's such a shame when we choose the weak and beggarly elements of this old world. Things that satisfy and gratify our flesh over a true, genuine relationship with the Father. It's just a shame. A boss man down to the work. Friend, every time you say that cuss word at work, you know what you're doing? You're choosing to not have a relationship with the Father. Every time you speak about someone when you should not be, you have no business in the subject, you're choosing that over a relationship with the Father. And in reality, you are absolutely no different than this young man saying, give me what is rightfully mine and I'll take it and leave. It's better at Dad's house. It's better when you can bow your head at night and not have to spend 30 minutes confessing sin and you can just get right into bragging on how good God's been. It's better if you don't have to say, oh God, I beg that you forgive me for this and that and this. And you can just start up like David. God, you are amazing. God, I remember your grace, how it bathed me yesterday, and it was only by your grace that I could make it through today. God, you, you, you care about me even though, though you've fashioned these worlds and, and you, you've established kings and you've set up kingdoms. And Lord, you care about little old me. But some of us don't experience that because we've chosen to make our own lifestyle and avoid the lifestyle of the Father. The Bible says, 1 John 5, 3, For this is the love of God, that we keep His commandments. That's not completely rare or uncommon for us to hear, but this is, the Bible goes on to say, and His commandments are not grievous. And most of us act like God's commands are a burden, like it's something we have to do or that it's thrown upon us and we just, if we don't walk the way that God wants us to walk, it's just not going to be okay. The Bible says in Romans chapter 7, verse 22, For I delight in the law of God. When's the last time you turned on the radio and a song came on that appealed to your flesh and you said, I like that song, and you changed it because you knew it wasn't pleasing to God? When's the last time the waiter at Olive Garden came with those 
wine glasses. That's my favorite part of the meal because I make sure I lick them. Next time you're at Olive Garden, just know I sat at the table right before you did. I'll lick them things. And I said, no, I wouldn't like any wine, but this one's clean. I didn't touch it. So you can just take it back and serve it to the next person. When's the last time you were at that table and that, ser- that, that, that ser- server came out and said, would you like to try some of our And you go to speak and you realize he's only halfway through the name. He's like, I don't know. It kind of sounds expensive. Well, it's a sample. I said, oh, a sample. Maybe a margarita tastes good. I wouldn't know, but Brother John's told me they do. <laughs> and you think I'm kidding, but he was very honest with me in the youth department. <laughs> I pick on Brother John because I love him, just so we know. But... I don't know, but maybe there are certain things that appeal to your flesh. One of my favorite preachers said this the other day. My favorite type of music is rock and roll. I just never get to listen to it. Some things that may appeal to you may not be pleasing to the Father. And it's at those times when you look at God and say, Lord, this is when I can delight in your law. Well, I don't delight in the fact I can't drink wine. I don't delight in the fact that I, I can't enjoy whatever rock and roll that I enjoy. I, I don't delight in the thing that uh, I can't do this, but I delight in the fact that I can please you. I delight in the fact that me and my weakness and in my flesh and in my failure and me, just little old me, I delight in the fact that sometimes I'm given the opportunity to say no and it matters to God. Hey, look, the the son was running from the lifestyle that the father was wanting to offer. But friend, when you can accept the lifestyle that God has for you, a lifestyle of peace, a lifestyle of contentment, a lifestyle of happiness, when you accept those things, I promise you, you will not look back and say, oh, this is what I didn't get to do. And when you stand before God, you'll say, God, this is all there is about this. No, you'll look at God and you'll say, I had the opportunity to make you the King of kings and the Lord of lords happy for just one moment while I was on this earth. Accept the lifestyle that God has for you. Philippians chapter 3 says, But what things were gained to me, those I counted loss for Christ. Yea, doubtless I counted all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord. He says, Oh, there were some things I wanted, but I just said no because I knew it pleased Christ. If you're going to waste your life, it's going to be because you've misunderstood the lifestyle that God has for you. Well, it's not one of bondage. It's not one of of weights cast upon you. The Bible says, take my yoke upon you and learn of me. For I am meek and lowly in heart, and ye shall find rest for your souls. And now notice this, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Oh, it's not, this whole world has tricked us into thinking that what God is asking us to do is nearly impossible. Or that we won't find happiness if we do what God asks us to do. I would submit to you that the only way a Christian can find happiness is to do what God wants them to do. You have misunderstood his lifestyle. I want you to notice finally, and this is the most important part of the sermon, you will have misunderstood his love entirely. Look at verse 20. The son begins to picture in his mind how to go to the father. We'll begin to read in verse 18. The son finally kind of gets in the right frame of mind. He begins to devise a plan how he's going to return home and, and repair this relationship of the father. And, and the young man says, I will arise and go to my father and will say unto him, Father, I have sinned against thee, against heaven and before thee. Now, the son is very smart at that point. What he is saying is actually quite admirable. One of the hardest things for us to do is for for us to admit our failures. 
to admit when we're not doing everything right. And the young man here says, Father, I've sinned against heaven, and I've sinned before thee. And he's doing everything right. But look here in verse 19. This is where the young man begins to get off course. The young man says, And am no more worthy to be called thy son. Make me as one of thy hired servants. He goes home, verse 20. The Bible says, And he rose and came to his father, but when he was yet a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. In verse 21, we began to see the son implement this strategy or this little uh, sermonette, if you will, to the father. And he says, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in thy sight and am no more worthy to be called thy son. And it's almost like the father interrupts him and says, But the father said to his servants, Bring forth the best robe and put it on him. And put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet and bring hither the fatted calf and kill it. And let us eat and be merry. And I want you to notice the, a very important word in verse 24. For this my son was dead and is alive again. See, one of the reasons that Christians get stalemated, if you will, in this thing of not accepting the lifestyle God has for them, not accepting God's plan for their life, not accepting everything that God wants them to become, they get stalemated in this, and it's almost like they would like to return home, but they think that they would get sloppy seconds if they do. In fact, that's exactly what this young man was dealing with. He thought as he was going to return home, he was going to go home in a much lesser role than what he had before. He says, Father, just give me, the, give me what you're giving the slaves. I'll just become as one of your hired servants. And I tell you, we as Christians grossly misunderestimate the grace and the love of the Father in heaven. I would say most of our failures as Christians could be directly linked to a failure to understand the doctrine of grace. You see, it's grace that keeps you from sinning, but it's grace that puts you back up on your feet when you've fallen. I want you to notice three things about this. If we're going, we misunderstand his love, first of all, it's a reasoning love. Look in verse 17. The Bible says, and when he came to himself. And when he came to himself. In other words, when he stopped thinking like a dummy. When he stopped thinking in a wrong frame of mind, when everything finally registered and clicked in his life, he came to himself and he said, it is better at dad's house. I need to go home. What am I doing here? And he looked at his surroundings and he said, what was I ever thinking? And he begins to look at, he remembers the servants and how happy they were with the father. He says, even, my, even the servants had it good at dad's house. And begins to evaluate his own life and says, I don't even know why I'm here. He finally had to come to the point where he started thinking about where he was and how to return. One of the things that alienates Christians is they get wrong with God, but they don't know how to return and get back right. They, 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 and then they get in this constant uh, life cycle of sinning and never confessing. Sinning and never getting right, so they're never restored. This young man finally understood that if I'm going to meet face-to-face -face with the Father, I'm going to have to admit that I have failed. It's not quite all that different from what Isaiah chapter 1 instructs the children of Israel to do. Come now. Let us reason together, saith the Lord. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall become white as snow. They, though, though they be red like crimson, they shall be as wool. Psalm chapter 51, as David's confession prayer to, uh, uh, the, to God after his sin with Bathsheba, verse number 4, the Bible says, Against thee and thee only have I sinned and done this evil in thy sight. The first thing you're going to have to do if you're going to understand God's love is understand that you were wrong and God was right the whole time. And it sounds quite simple, doesn't it? But it's very hard for us to admit our failures. It's hard for us to admit when God may have been right in all of his knowledge and wisdom and 
we made a decision that was contrary to that. But I tell you, there's some people in the room tonight that need to come to themselves and understand that when your children are posting on Facebook and putting pictures of you doing things that you shouldn't do, you need to come to yourself. When other members in our church are concerned about people in our church because they see what's on your social media page, you need to come to yourself. You need to get right. You need to realize that you were wrong and that God's been right the whole time. And that in order to ever actually have a genuine relationship with God, you just have to sit in the hog, swall- hog spit and the hog muck and say, what am I doing here? And return to the Father. It's a reasoning love. I want you to notice, secondly, it's a rescuing love. Now, this whole chapter, if you read it in context, you could call it the lost and found chapter. Or the hide and seek chapter. The first part of the chapter in verses 4 through 7, Jesus gives them a parable. And I want you to notice in verse number 4. Uh, we'll go in verse number 3 of chapter 15. And he spake this parable unto them, saying, What man of you, having an hundred sheep, if he lose one of them, doth not leave the ninety and nine in the wilderness and go after that which is lost until he find it? And when he hath found it, he layeth it on his shoulders rejoicing. And when he cometh home, he called together his friends and neighbors, saying unto them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my my sheep which was lost. Now, if you continue on, that's the parable of the lost sheep. Verse number 8 of chapter 15 is the parable of the lost silver. The Bible says, Either what woman, having ten pieces of silver, if she lose one, doth not light a candle and sweep the house and seek diligently till she find it. And when she hath found it, she calleth her friends and her neighbors together, saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the peace which I had lost. And we've already read the parable of the lost son. So the chapter starts with the parable of the lost sheep. Then it goes to the parable of the lost silver, and we find ourselves in the parable of the lost son. And the continuing theme throughout all three of them is the father or the person is seeking to restore the relationship that once had been there. The shepherd seeks to find the sheep. The woman seeks to find the silver. The father wants the son to get home, and when he sees the son a little way off, what does the father do? He leaves where he was and goes to find his son and embrace his son. One of the most paradoxical things in all of Scripture is no matter how far you get from God, if you'll just turn around, God's right there. You know why it's kind of strange? It's because God's unchanging. He never moves. He He doesn't get any closer to sin, but no matter how deep you get into sin, if you'll just come up for air, there he is. The Bible puts it like this, though he be not far from any one of us. The Bible says in the book of James, draw nigh to God and then finish it with me, and he will draw nigh unto you. So if you will just, no matter how far you are, if you'll just turn around, You're not going to have to get back to where you were. All you have to do is turn around and God will be there. You know why? Because it's a restoring love. It's a love that wants to be restored. It's a love that wants to be repaired. But we just don't understand how deep God's love goes. Look, maybe God would not have repaired this relationship with us, but he sent the very best he had to repair it. You see, he could have sent anything. He could have continued to allow the goats and and the lambs and and all of them to be sacrificed. But the reason that you ought to know that if you do have sin in your life, while you ought to come to this altar to repair that relationship, the reason, the one shouting, most proclaiming thing that you can see tonight is God went through the trouble of sending his only begotten son so that that relationship would no longer be torn. So that that relationship could be restored and repaired. Oh, God's not very far from you. And no matter how far you are from God, if you'll just make it about face, he'll be right there waiting on you. It's a rescuing love. I want you to notice it's a restoring love. Verse 22. I like this part of the story. We're done. But the father... Oh, we'll start in verse 21. And the son said unto him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and... In thy sight, and am no more worthy to be called thy son. 
But the father said to his servants, Bring forth the best robe and put it on him. And put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet and bring hither the fatted calf and kill it. And let us eat and be merry. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to be merry. Christian, there is no reason for you to stay wrong with God. There's not a reason in this world good enough for you to, to, to stay in your pew tonight if there's sin in your life and not come to this altar and get it clean before you, got, you and God. Because God's done everything He can to make sure the relationship is right. Why would you do any less? The Bible says in 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Psalm chapter 103, verse 12. As far as the east is from the west, so far hath he removed our transgressions from us. Isaiah chapter 43 says, I, even I am he that blotteth out thy transgressions for mine own sake and will not remember thy sins. The only reason that you would waste your life on this earth seeking to please out your own priorities, your own plans, or, or maybe the plans of your employer. I don't know what you're doing that may not perfectly line up with God's plan for your life, but the only reason you would pursue anything other than what God has for you is because you don't understand His love. You don't understand the love He has for you. You don't understand the love that He wants to give you. You don't under the, understand the love that He wants you to take part in and to share. We just don't even understand the love at all. When the son returned home, he was asking to be a servant. He was asking to be a slave. He, he, he come home and said, Father, if you could just make me like one of your hired servants. The son expected scraps, and he got steak. He expected the cold shoulder, and the father extended his to embrace him. The son was asking for second-hand rags, and the father said, Bring forth the best robe. The son was coming back expecting to do daily duties like dishes and, and washing feet. And the father said, Someone go grab my son's shoes for his own feet. There is nothing in your life that is so dirty, so wrong, so rotten that God can't forgive. And he's done everything he possibly could to let you know that whatever in your life has separated you from him, if you will just turn and repent from it, there will be mercy for you. But don't expect second best. Don't expect scraps because God wants to offer you steak. Don't expect robes, uh, rags because God offers you a robe. You know why? Because... There's no orphans with God. There's no outcasts. There's nobody who feels neglected because if you'll just return home, it's always been better at Dad's house. And Dad offers nothing but the very best. He offers nothing but his pure love if you'll just embrace him and accept it.